As we begin this morning, we uh, are starting a new book, a new study. Our uh, ministry here continues to just go straight through the Bible, uh, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. Occasionally there is a topical study that I feel prompted to take on, but this morning we're just going to keep moving forward and start here in Colossians in these first verses. The book itself really focuses on uh, the greatness of Jesus Christ. Uh, to introduce the book to us, it is clear that Paul wrote this around 62, 63 AD while he was imprisoned in Rome. It is one of the uh, four what we call the, the prison epistles, which include Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Uh, Paul had more than likely never been to Colossae. He had never been to this city. And so his letter is in a response, as we read in uh, verse 7, to Epaphras coming and sharing with him the things that are going on in this city. Paul probably had uh, three main purposes for writing this letter. Uh, one, and I'll begin at the last, would be to inform them of his, his circumstances. Secondly, though, he did want to, by way of this letter, lead the Colossae believers into a deeper maturity in their walk with Christ. And he knew that in order to do that, bringing us to one of his first and primary reasons for writing this letter, was to refute what's has become uh, known to us as the Colossian heresy. He wanted to refute the development of a um, wrong theolog theological uh, perspective known as Gnosticism. It had started to grow in the city of Colossus, and there were believers there that were beginning to be confused about their newfound relationship in Christ. And as Epaphras came to Paul to inform him about this, Paul deals with the greatness of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, all through this letter. If you're not familiar with uh, Gnosticism, it comes from the Greek word gnosis, and it meant... Uh, really dealt with the fact that uh, the Greeks, in employing this word gnosis, believed that uh, knowledge was the greater thing, uh, that there was a, a secret knowledge to be known. A few of the uh, inherent beliefs of Gnosticism were, quote, uh, the material world is bad, the spiritual world is good, the material world is under the control of evil, and ignorance is nothingness. They also embrace the idea that a divine spark is uh, somehow trapped in someone, but not all humans, and humans and it alone uh, of all that exists in this material world is 
capable of redemption. In other words, this spark in select few can be redeemed if that spark exists. They embrace the idea that salvation is through a secret knowledge by which individuals come to know themselves, their origin, and their destiny. But one of the most uh, confusing aspects of what uh, Gnostics would teach would be that since uh, a good God could not have created an evil world, it must have been created by an inferior, ignorant, or evil God. Usually the explanation given is that the true good God created or uh, emanated beings who either emanated other uh, beings as well. Uh, They had an individual known as Archon who hides this truth from humans but gives a spark to a a select few and on and on the odd theology and incorrect truth would go. Now you can imagine if you've been uh, established in your faith in Christ and someone comes along with some sort of new idea, some secret idea that only can really uh, be attached to a few, perhaps you would want to reach out to someone and confirm th- what the, you know the Bible to say. Well, in Paul's day, they didn't, they didn't have this to refer to. And so they wanted securely to know how, in fact, are they promised eternal life? Who, in fact, is Christ? And so Epaphras comes to Paul there in Rome, and throughout this letter, he deals with that, as we will see as we go through it. In these first eight verses, there really are three main subjects that emerge and come to the top. Gnosticism isn't one of them. We'll deal with that later. But the three that come to the top are these. Knowing the will of God, knowing the three characteristics of a healthy church, and finally, knowing the evidence of the gospel when it is received. And I'd like to start with this first one this morning, knowing the will of God. I point your attention to verse 1, again, in which we read that Paul said he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul knew what the will of God for his life was. He had no question. Do you this morning know what God's will for your life is? Paul tells us in several of his letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, that he is who he is by the will of God. God has a will. And I want to make a distinction this morning between God having a desire and God having a will. God has a desire. He would that none would perish, but that all would come to eternal life. That's God's desire. 
But God's will, different than his desire, is clearly borne out through several scriptures. Jesus himself in Mark 3.35 said, He who does the will of God is my brother and my mother from the cross. We are told by Luke, the author of the book of Acts, that David, the patriarch, in Acts 13.36, served his generation by the will of God. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he wanted to find a way to come to see them. He said in Romans 1.10, that I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. In that same letter, he writes to the Roman Christians and says that the Spirit of God was making intercession for them, and thus the Spirit of God makes intercession for us this morning. How? By the will of God. Do you know what God's will for your life this morning is? There are three places where the general will of God for every believer is clearly stated. And so you and I this morning should be able to say at least clearly these three things we know are God's will. Right? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. Every Christian should be able to say, I know that this is God's will for my life. For me to be sanctified, set apart, and live my life for him, which involves abstaining from sexual immorality. The second general one is, of course, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Every Christian should be able to say, yes, I know that God's will for my life is that in the midst of everything that I am going through, I am still to be giving God thanks for who he is. The third one comes to us in 1 Peter 2.15. This is the will of God. It says, you see it there, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So these general, clear instructions for every Christian, the will of God. You should be able to say, if someone says to you this morning, do you know what God's will for your life is? You would say, yes, I am to be sanctified, I am to be giving thanks, and I am to, by doing good, put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, we've already established that Paul knew and understood what God's will for his life was. 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. But I said we would come back to it in a moment. In Romans 1.10, when he says that I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, we now address the specifics of what it means for a believer, specifically even Paul, let's use him as an example, who was living out God's general will for his life, but also had some specific questions as it related to what he might do from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. Does that make sense? And one of the things he wanted to know what God's will was or to see God's will come to fruition was in his visit to Rome. Did he ever make it? Yes, he did. Did it come about in the way in which he perhaps entertained in his mind? Probably not. He went as a prisoner. So again, I ask you this morning, do you know what God's specific will for your life is? You should, as I should, know what God's general will is. I am to be giving thanks in all things. I am to be sanctified and abstain from sexual immorality and I am to by doing good put to silence the ignorance of foolish general will we sh that's every one of us but now the specific will do you know what God's specific will for your life today is I believe the scriptures answer that and I want to give you two of them the first one is found in Philippians 2 13 as we read it, it says, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Want to read it with me? Let's read it. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Summarize or paraphrase. God's will is to be aligned with your will. You have a will. It's called your volition. It's what you will to do. And that God's desire is that you, every Christian, would surrender their will, their personal will, to the omniscient will of God. When the believer's will lines up with what God's will is for that believer's life, guess what the end result is? It brings God pleasure. Does that make sense? He's working in you both to will to bring about his will in your life, but he won't violate your personal volition so that when you do surrender your will to him, it will be for his good pleasure. So that makes it clear, okay, my will is to align with the will of God and that will bring God pleasure. How do I then therefore ask or pursue that my will will line up with God's will. I'm so glad you asked. Romans 12 is the definitive in this. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2, which has two parts. The first part, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Part one, presenting yourself, your life, to God. We sang it this morning. Here's my life, Lord. Here's my life. Here's my life. Do what you want with it. Well, wait a minute. What about all these plans I've made? Uh, Maybe I'm a young person. I want to settle down someday and marry and have a family. Maybe I I have an entrepreneur-type mind and I want to create businesses. Maybe I want to be involved in in civil um, activity and, and try to shape the the direction in which the laws of this nation... I mean, I have plans, Lord. Okay? The Bible tells us a man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. He's not... God never asks you and I to just give him a blank slate. God gave us a mind to think. He puts his spirit in us, and he... he, engages in creating in you ideas and things to do, but the key is presenting your living self to God each day, which is a reasonable, if you logically, it's logical to present myself to God each day whose mercies are new every morning. I wake up, Lord, I, you know I have plans, but here's my life. And then part two, verse two, says to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that, and here's the key, that you may prove, know, understand completely, clearly, if you want to dissect that word prove, it's not that you may, you know, test it out or try it out or see if he's actually. No, it's that you may know without a doubt, with no question, prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Ever wanted to know what God's specific will for your life is? Present yourself to him each day. Saturate your mind with the renewing living word. Refuse to be conformed to what this world wants to tell you you are and what you're to be and how you're to think and how you're to act and how you're supposed to just, you know, get in line Be renewed in your mind and you will know what his good, acceptable, and perfect will is. That is certainly one subject that comes out of these verses. Now, there is a second subject that I want to bring us to. And it has to do with knowing what the characteristics of a healthy fellowship are. Let me bring your attention now to verses 3 
and forward where he says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Look at verse 4. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. And we come now to this second subject emerging from these verses, and that is knowing the characteristics of a healthy fellowship. They are these, that they will have faith, hope, and love. Now, faith is simply, as we're told in Hebrews eleven sixteen, that without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So each Sunday morning when we gather, each week when we, all this last week during VBS, when we were coming, we were believing in faith that God was going to do great things each day. I hope you never walk through those doors on a given Sunday morning and by the way, welcome to all of you who are watching online. I forget at times. Or turn on your TV and are watching a service by TV through YouTube or whatever. And that you're just kind of as that one song. I love that one song. We're just going through the motions. That you don't come through those doors not expecting, hoping, believing that God's going to work in a mighty way. Today, right now. Because if ever there was a time we need to see God work in his people and in the church, in our country, in our state, in our community, it's now. And so we come with faith, believing that God is at work and that he's even working at this moment. And as a part of a healthy fellowship, there is this, this love. And if you'll notice the word there, it says in verse 3, he says, hearing of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Guess what all in the Greek means? All. And... If Christ is in you, you are a new creation. Christ in you leaves out the opinion that, you know, this church is better than that church or these believers are better than those believers The sign of a healthy fellowship, which really translates into the sign of a healthy heart of a believer, is a love for all the saints. Now you whittle that down to right here in our living room of Calvary Chapel Valley Springs. We will not flourish and thrive and grow if there is bickering dissent, uh, 
division. And I am not absent of, of the temptation at times to fall right into that carnal thinking where you begin to judge someone's spirituality or, or their choices or whatnot. But beloved, this morning we're talking about the thriving work of the Spirit of God, loving the saints. I love to be with the saints. Tell you what, you can go out into the world and it might whittle your uh, whistle for a moment, but you're going to get dry, thirsty, and feel unwelcome if Christ is really at work in your heart. A love for all the saints. And then finally, he says that hope, that hope of heaven. And a healthy fellowship is going to have their eyes on that day in which Christ is reigning and ruling. They're going to have their eyes on that day in which, as we're told in Revelation 21.4, there's not going to be any more death or dying. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things are passed away. I can't wait for that day. Currently, one of my grandsons has made his way to a career path where he is serving at Cal Fire. And recently, if you've seen the uh, fires up near the Shasta area, uh, they've been pretty horrendous. Um, we heard last week that uh, our grandson's crew was actually largely involved for saving the city of Markleyville. And when uh, my son-in-law posted some pictures of his crew, I mean, just the pictures were enough to make me remember that his life and many other firefighters' lives and first responders' lives and law enforcement lives and on and on it goes, are on the line in which a tragedy could happen at any moment. A loved one's life could be lost. A day is coming when that won't be the case anymore. Some of us know personal loss right now. And a day is coming, a healthy heart in the Christian and a healthy beat in the heart of a fellowship is that hope of heaven. That's what I'm living for. I sure am not living for it here. Lastly, this morning, we'll wind this up quickly, is the third evidence, the third thing that emerges from this passage is an evidence of the gospel received. Notice verse 5 and 6. It says, he says at the end of verse 5, he talks about the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. He says, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. And we arrive at that 
powerful fact that if the gospel is truly received, the good news of Jesus Christ, then it bears fruit in human life. We are, of course, perhaps some of you who read your Bibles often might be aware of the parable in Luke's gospel of the different soils, Luke chapter 8. And Jesus talked about four types of ground in which the first ground he called wayside, the second ground he called stony or rock, rocky ground, the third ground he called thorns or thorny, and then the fourth ground he called good ground. And when his disciples said, can you explain this parable, he, he went through it verbatim, telling them that the word of God, the gospel, the truth of the word of the gospel has four grounds that it can land on. Period. Not five, six, twenty. Four. And this word of the truth of the gospel, when it lands on wayside soil, Jesus explained to them that it just barely hits the ground and the devil comes away and snatches it away like, like that. Maybe some of you know someone who, who listened to you, share the gospel with them, and they seemed interested for a moment and then boom, gone, not interested. Wayside soil. The second ground that Jesus talked about, maybe we're very familiar with, he called it a rocky or stony ground. And he explained to his disciples that that type of soil, because there's so much uh, in the heart, there's so much uh, rocks and, and stones, that the word of God is received, the gospel message is received, but it can't take root. Man, in our backyard, we're, we're all about the red, hard clay of Ione. And we have tried planting plants like you won't believe. How many times have I been to Green Acres and bought plants? <laughs> and how many times have I asked various nursery care, what do I do? It's just clay. And they, well, you do this and you do that. You merge and you, what's there, somebody, you, you blend and you buy this, you buy that, and, and I can't get it to grow. We finally decided to put pots and drip lines, and that's working somewhat, if I paid attention. But you try and plant in rocky soil, and, you know, have you ever seen a weed grow from in between a, a, a what do they call that, a... A uh, compression line in cement, it's not called compression, what it's called? Uh, what? Yes. <laughs> that. And, and it'll grow, it'll grow, it'll grow, it'll grow, but at some point it'll stop because you can't keep going down. The Word of God can go into a life and it can, you know, be received. And you Maybe you've met someone, they, they get it for a moment, but stony soil is that, there's no root. 
There's no root. It doesn't, the word of God doesn't go down deep, doesn't set itself in the human heart. One of the things that we need desperately to do is follow up with each one of these parents, these little children who gave their lives to Christ this last week, who now need to have that seed watered and have it grow down deep into the truth of Scripture. I know for me, I've shared it. I'll share it before because there's one or two of you that may not have heard it. I received the Word of God at 15. Hume Lake Christian Camp. All week long, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. Friday night. Anybody want to make sure they're going to heaven? That's me. I went. Received Christ, received the gospel, went down that hill right back to my friends. And they said, what happened to you? I said, well, I met Jesus. Well, tell us about him. I can't. I don't know anything about him. There was no root. And it wasn't necessarily anybody's fault. There were a couple of reasons, but there was no follow-up. I didn't grow in my Bible knowledge. And sure enough, man, that, that little seed did not grow. Jesus talks about a soil that many of us this morning can really identify with, the the thorny soil. And it says the word of God, the gospel message is received, but but it's not bearing fruit yet because it's snatched away in what we call the wayside. It doesn't grow in rocky, but in thorny, it, it, it has some root there, but it, th- there's no fruit because it gets choked out by the cares of this world. That's what Jesus said, the cares of this world by riches and by pleasure. Is the gospel bearing fruit in your life this morning? Is it bearing fruit Or are you feeling like things are getting choked? Your your concentration is on finance or just finding some sort of pleasure? I don't know. That last soil that Jesus talked about, good ground, good soil. The gospel is received, goes deeply, and it begins to bear fruit. Guess what? In the Colossian Christians, Paul was saying, I have an evidence that this gospel, uh, the word of the truth of the gospel is already bearing fruit in your life. And what does spiritual fruit look like? Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How are we doing? How are you doing? Because those are the check engine lights of whether or not this gospel received into your life is bearing fruit, first of all, in you. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. How's your agape love going? still carry a love for mankind, a love for the lost, a love for the saints. How's your joy 
<laughs> Did you come in this morning rejoicing? The joy, 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 down in my heart. Woo, down in my heart. How is it? I'm just asking. It's a question because it relates to what this scripture is telling us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Do you have his joy in your heart? Maybe it's a check engine light. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is the gospel, word of the truth of the gospel having its effect in you? Are you at peace? How's the peace plumb line? Man, we've gone through a year where in the life of every believer, peace has been tested. Patience, how's your patience going? You're saying, well, pretty good right now. I'm being patient with you to hurry up and end this message, Pastor. No. We have kids, and of course, children's ministry. I want to be respectful. It's 20 after. I want to give Sean and Eli a chance to close us with one song. But, beloved, if I could just close with this word. Know what God's will for your life is specifically by presenting yourself and being transformed in your mind. Know what a healthy fellowship looks like with faith, love, and hope. And above all, know when the evidence of the gospel is clearly effective in you and around you. Will you pray with me? Let's ask the Lord to make it clear. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask that you bless and strengthen us in these truths. And if there be anyone here, Lord, that says, yes, that's me. I, I need greater understanding of your will for my life. Lord, I need a greater degree of health. My understanding of this fellowship. Lord, I, I need a greater evidence of your gospel at work. You know each heart. Would you do it by your grace through the power of your spirit? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.